let's take a look at the verses 6 through 10 in Galatians 1. And I want to start out with a question this morning. Why is it so difficult for us to accept something that is absolutely free? Have you ever thought about that? For many of us, why is it so difficult to accept something given to us that's absolutely free? I thought maybe it's because we feel guilty. Maybe we're not doing something free or, or maybe there's strings attached. I don't know. I remember the first time someone paid for our family's dinner at a restaurant. I knew who it was and I had a hard time accepting that. I even checked to see if we could leave a tip. Went and checked and the answer was no, it's all been taken care of. So I immediately was in a crisis. Well, what, what do I do now? I, how can I accept that? Should I call them, try to split it halfway? This is the struggle that sometimes we might have. You see, we have in us the idea that there is something that we must do to pay our way. That's just in us, and we feel that way. It's difficult to accept something absolutely free. Yet, God says this to us. Are you listening? God says to us, I've picked up the tab. I've already picked up the tab. I'll take care of everything inside and out. Accept it. Believe it. It's a declared fact. Are you tracking with me this morning? Are you hearing that? It's so true. And now we get to the book of Galatians, and at this point in most of Paul's letters, Paul's epistles, at this early spot, this juncture, he would have by now been ready to offer a prayer of thanksgiving for his audience. Go and look at the other ones. Happens very frequently, but not so here. Why? These group of churches are struggling. They're struggling with something. They're struggling really with accepting the free gospel. They're turning, we'll see in a moment, to something different, to a different contrary false gospel. Works, or we might say the law, has been infiltrating the free gospel. It's something that's been added by mankind, and we'll see that as we go along in the book. Now, we're warned about this. We are to press on with God's gospel. Listen to 2 Timothy 4, Paul giving instruction to young Timothy. I want to read 2 through 5. Proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come, here's the warning, when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. But as for you, church, are you ready? It's to Timothy, but I think it applies to us. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship and do the work of the evangelist fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can sing Christ alone, cornerstone, that you are Lord of all. I know we don't act like that sometimes, lots of times. We don't always think like that, but help us today to 
have our hearts penetrated that you are Lord of all. And God, remind us about the free gospel. God, give us discernment to see things that are added or taken away that really aren't part of your gospel. Speak to us today from your word, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here's the big idea today. It's simple, very simple. There is only one gospel. You got it? Okay, we can go home. Let's go. That's it. There's only one gospel. I got it, Lamar. Well, let's take a look at verses 6 through 10, if we could. Verses 6 through 10. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. And I have an exclamation point there in my Bible. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Verse 9, as we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave to Christ. So let's look at three main sections today. The first one I've entitled this way, simply Paul's astonishment. Have you ever been astonished about something? Paul's astonishment. And he begins right off in this passage by saying he's astonished that some are turning away. Paul is amazed that many are so quickly turning to a false gospel. That word we would say today, maybe the word we would use in our vernacular would be, man, he is blown away. You ever been blown away? He is blown away. He is let down by this. They're quickly turning away. The biblical language gives us the picture of they're acting rashly. It's not just, oh, I'll go right here. It's a rash activity. I immediately, when I read that, I'm reminded of Exodus 32. Do any of you remember that? Did you see that movie, Charlton Heston? Moses goes up to what? Get the Ten Commandments. And it's not zap instantaneous. He's up there on the mountain and he's there. And the people can't handle it, can they? They begin to turn. And they do a really good job. Let's just give them credit. I mean, when they messed up, they messed up big time, the Israelites. I tell you what. He's receiving the Ten Commandments, they're impatient, and they quickly turn, if you will, and they make an idol. Do you remember what the idol was called? The golden calf. How about that? So we get this idea, this picture here in verse 6 of turning away. And this term was used in Greek literature. If you would study Greek literature, I don't know why anyone would, but if you would, you'd see this turning away was uh, Veterans Day coming up. How about that? It's a military turn. It really gives the idea of a turncoat. Do you know that term? It's the turning away is the idea of a turncoat, one who is defecting, one who is deserting, one who is putting something in the place of the other. 
And notice in the scripture the tense, it's present tense. It shows that this is in progress. And I think Paul is, is so aggressive and so concerned that he knows it's something that's happening. The Judaizers have not yet achieved their success, but boy, they're working on it. Boy, they're feeding some different information. And so Paul here is amazed. We might say today he's incredulous. He's considering this defection to be extraordinary. Now, church, before we jump all over the churches of Galatia back in that day, let's take a look at ourselves for a minute. Are we not prone occasionally to our own devices? Come on. Anybody in here like that? Okay, a few of you truthful people. The rest, you're waiting to see, where, where's he going with this? I'm not going to raise my hand yet. I think as sinners, we're pr prone to our own devices. In fact, we're prone to add in idols. Maybe not a golden calf, maybe not that large group of people, but, but don't we do that sometimes? I mean, if you're not sure about idols, ask your spouse, ask your mama, your daddy, ask your children. They will be glad, if they know there's no repercussions, they will be glad to tell you an idol you might have in your life. So I think we're prone to that way. This is a warning for us not to turn away from the free gospel. In fact, I would ask the question today, how are we tempted to add something to the gospel? Well-meaning Christians, Christ followers, tend to, if they're not careful, want to add a little something here or there. And we must be careful of that. So the, he starts off, he's incredulous. Some are turning away. But they're turning away from God and not Paul. Did you catch it? Paul knew they weren't turning from him, even though he had been on a missionary journey, he had planted churches, he had given the gospel, but they're turning from God. He says there in verse 6, from the one who called you, kaleo, it means to select, to choose. In secular Greek, it gives a picture of summoning, calling someone, summoning them into a court of law. That's what God has done and so he realized, turning from God, not from me. And then Paul also realizes they're turning from the free gospel. Well, how can you say that, Lamar? Well, they're moving towards a gospel that added in works into the equation. They're abandoning the God, the one who called them. How? By the grace, by the work of Jesus. They're not remembering that in God's court of law, which is the holiness court, which is the one where we all would be convicted. They're not remembering that in God's court of law they had been forgiven, that their sin debt had been paid by the blood of Jesus. So they're turning, but they're turning to a different gospel. Here it gives the picture of this different gospel of, uh, of uh, uh, opposite, opposition, the opposite of God's free gospel. The word is heteron. It means another of a different kind, not similar, but of a different kind, a false one, one that contradicted the good news of Jesus. In this instant here, it's a gospel that tries to blend law and grace together. Not good. Hang in there. We'll have some more about that in the coming weeks. Let me ask you this question today. As you follow God, do you try to add your own ideas in? Have you ever done that? I have. You know, we get the idea, let me just help you out, sir. Ma'am, let me just help you out. And we throw, throw in some things there. Do you remember that it's only 
grace, for by grace are we saved through faith. Wow. So he is astonished. Let's look at the second thing. Let's move on from verse 6 to verse 7 and see Paul's assessment. He begins to assess the situation that he is marveling in, that he is astonished about. Verse 7 says this, Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the gospel of Christ. So his assessment begins with the fact that there is not another gospel. That may not be great English, but that's how we have it translated. And it's a different biblical word that's used here. Not what we just had with the different gospel, but with this one. It means another of the same kind, alos. Paul is saying that this works-based gospel is not a gospel at all. He's saying there's no a there's no alternative to God's free gospel. That's how he can say there is not another gospel. Now, this has been a problem throughout the history of church. Did you know that? We oftentimes think that woe is me, what is going on to me in 2020 is unique to me and to my family and my city and, and, and never to anything else in history. Not so. You might turn a couple pages back in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 11, 4. Paul, uh, the, the church at Corinth, are you familiar with them? They had to have two letters. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. They had to have two of them. And in 2 Corinthians 11:4, 4, listen to what Paul says to them. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach... Or you receive a different spirit, there's that word, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly, exclamation point. Isn't that interesting? He's basically telling those Corinthians, look, you happily put up with this different this and this different that and this different that. So it is common to us. Think about this today. Why do we continually put up with diff different gospels? Why do we do that today? Now, you might say, I do not, Lamar, I do not put up with different gospel. We have this nailed down. Really? Do we ever get an opportunity from the Lord to speak in love, candor, but speak in love and truth to someone who is espousing a different gospel? Anybody? Bet you can think of a neighbor. For me, family member, what about you? And God gives us opportunities sometimes to speak love into the situation and remind people in a loving, grace-filled way that there's one gospel. Jesus died for us. He paid the price for our sin. Hmm. Think about that for a minute. I'm going to give you a phrase that's a tough phrase. You might want to jot it down, and I hope that you would ponder it. It's not a verse of Scripture, but here it is. I wrote it down so I get it right. A teacher may be sincere and still be sincerely wrong. Think about that. A teacher may be sincere and still be sincerely wrong. Now, I hadn't planned to do that. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to share it. I'm going to talk quick so we don't end up going too long today. But I want to share you with you something. After seminary, Lynn and I and our little family, we moved to Roswell, 
and we're at Bethel Baptist Church, and we served there seven years, and it's wonderful. There's some wonderful people there, and there's this wonderful couple. I won't mention their name. This wonderful couple, uh, he, he was a, a deacon, a great Sunday school teacher in administration at NMI, and uh, they became like surrogate grandparents to our couple little kids we had at that time. Fantastic people. If there was anyone I would ever think would never stray from the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was this couple. And before you know it, she was listening to some tapes, cassette tapes. You young folks don't know what those are, okay? Thank MP3s back in the day, okay? She was listening. This guy was teaching. Are you hearing me? Was preaching, teaching in the state of Florida. And she got sucked into it and then sucked her husband into it. And before we knew it, they sold everything they had in Roswell and moved to basically, I would call it maybe like a modern-day commune in Florida. I don't know what happened. They left all that they knew of the gospel and went to this thing, and the control was put over them. I'm, I'm guessing they gave all that they had sold. And here's how bad it got. He got sick and got cancer of the eye, and before he died, his mama, an elderly, very elderly lady, just wanted to see her son one more time. And there was such control, it was such a different gospel or teaching that she was not even allowed access to her son. Tragic story, isn't it? But remember, a teacher can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. So he says there's not another gospel, verse 7. And then he says, but some are teaching another gospel. And the word he uses here is they're troubling these folks, these church folks, if you will. And it's a present tense. They're troubling. It's going on right now. And it's about the strongest word that he could use, that he could pin. And Paul says that. And did you see how they are troubling them? Did you catch that? I think it's very interesting. To dis uh, this word means to disturb mentally. To disturb mentally with excitement perplexity, and fear. That's what that word means. Boy, that speaks to me even today. They're troubling. They're disturbing mentally with excitement, perplexity, and fear. Do we see that today? Do we see any trouble with excitement? Is there a show that some people need to go see? God help us not to have a show when we worship, right? We can be excited, but that can't be the thing. That can't become part of the gospel. Hey, come and watch a show. You can do that somewhere else. To disturb mentally with perplexity. Back in those days, they had what's called Gnosticism. The Gnostics, some of you remember that? I think we have modern-day Gnostics. We have these people that say, I have a word. And it's different than what's been throughout Christianity and history, orthodoxy, that scares me. I have a special knowledge. I have a special word. I have something different. That's how cults get going. Hmm, to disturb mentally with excitement, the show, perplexity, uh, Gnostics, and fear. That's that control that cults have on people. So these troublers were definitely gospel agitators. They were trying to change the good news about the Messiah. 
Did you catch that at the end of verse 7? Paul doesn't just have an ax to grind or just an, uh, an opinion or something that he prefers. He says they're changing, wanting to change the very gospel of Christ. Wow, the good news about the Messiah. That word change does not just mean alter a little bit or just a little vector here or a tangent here. No, it means reverse, to change to the opposite, to turn about. So what I tell you, any gospel that's different than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it seems just a little off kilter, might as well be a 180, the opposite thing. That's how important it is to Paul and how God has given us God's word through Paul right here. It's just clear. We would say today they're distorting, they're perverting the truth. They're changing from a message of free grace through faith to a message of salvation by good works. Wow. Paul's astonishment. Paul's assessment. Number three, Paul's assertion. Verses eight and nine. He asserts a couple things. Let's take a look. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, he's, he's saying it again. Hey, dummies, let me say it again for you. All right, I shouldn't have said dummies. Sorry, kids. Hey, you guys, you're not getting it. If anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. So his assertion, first of all, is that no one should teach a contrary gospel. And he gives the hypothetical. He says, even if we would come back, who, Paul? Maybe Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, whoever. Even if we came back and changed it, it's a hypothetical. Or even, he goes from hypothetical to hyperbole. Do you know what that means? Don't be scared of that in the Bible. Jesus used it. Hyperbole just means what? It's a deliberate exaggeration to do what? To emphasize something. And here he does it. He said, even if it's we or perhaps an angel, the word means messenger, an angel from heaven, even if we preached a contrary gospel, don't you dare go for it. Wow. Paul uses a distinctive verb here which renders really evangelize you. Now think about that for a minute. He believes this different gospel is a serious deception being presented as it involves ultimately evangelism because it's changing salvation. It's changing the gospel. It is more than being against. The picture of the word is going beyond. It's not a controversy between one teacher and another, as we see in Scripture. It's a controversy between truth and error. So he, he assesses it, and he says that nobody should teach this, and then drops the bomb. Here's the assertion. A curse be on those guys. It's the bottom line in this passage, I think. The word anathema. Some of you know that word. It's used six times in the Bible. Guess what? It's used twice right here in these two verses. It's pretty strong. Are you ready? I'm going to read to you what it means. Listen to it, because I don't think everyone understands what that means exactly, because our English word curse just doesn't get it. Here it is. Something or someone set aside for di divine wrath or devoted to destruction. Why? 
because, they, because of the hate they have toward God. Hmm. The idea of spiritual death. That's what that word means. It gives a picture of spiritual death. So it's not excommunication. It's not, hey, we're just going to kick you out of church. It's the strongest word that Paul can use. And he uses it here how many times? He uses it twice right here to communicate this is not something hypothetical this is a real issue this is not something that is a supposition but an assumption of fact directly to those Judaizers who are trying to change the gospel for the Gentiles the question one might ask is this Paul why bother with refuting this false gospel well Paul sees any false gospel as a life or death situation and this current one that he's facing that's ongoing, did you see the word received in there a couple times? The word received is there. It gives a picture of hospitality. We, had, we got to go to some folks' house Friday and received wonderful hospitality. You know how great a good host and hostess can be, right? Well, this is, they're kind of getting sucked in. They're beginning to receive this like as if someone is offering as a host this to them. Hmm. A teacher who requires others to obey the law, any law, as a, listen to me, as a requirement for salvation, I believe is leading others to a Christless eternity. It's that serious. It's that serious. I've heard it said, keep the main thing the main thing. Have you heard that? we got to get the main thing right. we got to get the gospel of Jesus Christ right in our lives and in the lives of those that we're sharing, that we're trying to impacting. So he gives this uh, assertion. So as we begin to close, I want you to, let me begin to wrap it up in this way. Let's use verse 10 to begin to wrap this up. Would you look at verse 10? And as I read verse 10, use it as an evaluation for your life. For my life. Paul says, For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. This is kind of a springboard into next week when Paul's going to give us some of his autobiography. But right here, we can use it as an evaluation. You see, Paul had critics. They accused him of what we would call easy believism. Have you ever heard of that? Of watering down the gospel by omitting the law or all these rules and regulations. And they were saying it's to increase your popularity with the Gentiles. Now, there's an ancient Hebrew word that I would use for that. What? What are you thinking? What in the world were these people thinking? And yet they had been deceived themselves. And Paul hammers home the truth that the true servant of God, the true proclaimer of God's free gospel, strives to follow and please God. What do you think about that, church? We're sinners. We fail at this, but we need to strive more and more often to please God, to follow God, to please Him and not others. Isn't that hard to do? I want, I want people to love me, don't you? Will you be my friend? No, I'm seriously asking. Will you? <laughs> the production booth, they're all put their head down. They don't want to be his friend. Well, that's in us, isn't it? 
Don't we see that with our, our little kids, our little grandkids? We can see that built into us that we want to do that. But so much more above that is to strive and please God. So how is our examination of our life? How does it line up with verse 10? You see, we have a choice as Christ followers. We can serve people's preferences and opinions, or we can serve faithful, never-changing Jesus. Wow. So let me conclude. So what is this true gospel? Stay with me just for a moment. I'm going to give it to you as quickly as I can and completely as I can. What's this true gospel? It's the good news that Jesus Christ came and was born on this earth, born of a virgin, Scripture says. And, and it's hard for our minds to get around, but Scripture teaches us he's fully man and he's fully God. This is the gospel. And he lives this sinless life, even though he's tempted in every way that we are, he lives this sinless life to pay the punishment for sin. And the gospel goes on to tell us that he offers his life as a sacrifice, ultimately on the cross, for my sin, for your sin. Hmm. But it keeps going. He hung and he died on that cross to take away that punishment and offer forgiveness. He also defeated, uh, at, when he resurrected on the third day, what does he defeat? He defeats the grave, sin, death, Satan. Are you getting an idea? And he defeated all that for you, for you, and especially for me. And he resurrected. He left the grave and promised something. He promised to return one day. That's the gospel. We can't change it. We can't take something away, and we can't add something to it. There it is. He promises, he pro his, his promise to me is this. If I place my trust in him, if I confess, now listen, if I confess, agree that I have sinned, if I confess and repent, True sorrow and turning away, the desire to turn away from the old into a new life if I repent of my sin, if I place my faith in him alone, in him alone, guess what? Then I would be saved. I will be saved. So it doesn't matter. Maybe online you're thinking about my life or maybe you're sitting here in one of the sections and you're thinking, Lamar, if you just knew what happened in my life, if you just knew what I did years ago, no. None of it matters. We repent and turn to him and ask for forgiveness of sin and ask for lordship. What does that mean? Ask for him to be the controller, the boss of our life. He'll do it. Wow. There's so much more, too. When the time is right, he's coming back and he promised to take us to be with him in eternity forever. Hmm. Scripture teaches us that because of Jesus, we can be a new creation. Our old sins are gone. New life has come. We're different. Let me give you this statement this morning. You think about it. You think about those that you love, those that God is leading you to impact. 
a gospel that hasn't changed you hasn't really saved you. Hello. I'll never forget when I heard the, the, the talk that Billy Graham, Billy Graham, right? Billy Graham, put hand over your heart, right? Billy Graham believed that there were tons and tons of church members, of people sitting in pews, he called it back then, who really weren't saved. And we really have to examine ourselves. God will give us assurance of our salvation if we'll ask him to do that. But the idea is the gospel that doesn't change us really hasn't saved us. There'll be fruit in our life. Is this you? Are you one who's been changed by the gospel? If so, give God thanks. Aspire to follow him completely and not others. Let's pray. God, we do pray today for those listening to your words and to Scripture. I pray for those that are examining their lives right now and are realizing right now, I really thought this or that, and are maybe realizing for the first time or, or really understanding that you offer us the free gospel. That Jesus died for me, that he died for them. That we can turn and run to you and just cast our sinfulness, our life on you and we can ask God to forgive and you're already ready. You've already paid the price, Jesus, and we're thankful. And you're a God who forgives. You're a God who provides grace and salvation. We thank you for it. And I pray today that someone would realize that and run to you and be glorious saved by your, gloriously saved by your grace. And God, I pray for those of us who are assured of our salvation that we would share the free gospel. Help us, God. Please, Lord, speak to us from your word. In your name we pray.